Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Illumine our hearts and our minds, O God, to receive this news once again today. May we be open and honest. May we discern the other gospels in our midst. May we attune our eyes to you and you alone. May we find ourselves for who we are and give thanks for who you are in our place. For we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. I haven't decided quite yet, depending on how we journey through this, but I at least know through the month of August, we will be journeying together through the book of Galatians. We may take a week or so into September, but right now we'll be journeying through Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. So I thought that it would be appropriate for us to start where Paul starts. That'd be Galatians chapter 1. Hear these words of the Apostle Paul. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the church of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat. If anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? 
If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond among many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born, called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia. And afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who was formerly persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Place the cross before me, let none see me, but you and your grace alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, this week has been a whirlwind of running running to jury duty on Monday, running to Richmond on Wednesday to get Alexander, running to the dentist for a tooth that was killing me on Tuesday, running as so many parents were this week to meet their child's teacher, prepare for the beginning of another school year. And by the way, I know that I wrote it in the newsletter, but I will say it again. I'm going to have a kindergartner this year. I have no clue how that's possible, but it's what I'm going to have. But nevertheless, in the midst of the running, Alexander and I had the opportunity to meet his new teacher. She was very well organized, well organized, more organized than I ever hoped to be. We walked through the door, and we were promptly instructed verbally and with pen and checklist the order of the nine stations that we would be completing the day before we left. We meticulously navigated the opening assignments, picking a desk, filling pencil and crayon boxes, and grabbing our color-coded folders that entailed more checklists of things to do once we went back home. I didn't realize that having a child in school meant that I was going back to school also. <laughs> One of the last stations of the day was a fine motor skill demonstration. During this activity, Alexander and I would cut out our bo bodies, arms, and legs to make an astronaut. While he was cutting, I noticed that his scissor work could use some improvement. 
I told Samantha about it. And we resolved in that moment that in order for Alexander to fix his scissor deficiency, we were going to take up the old adage that practice will make perfect. This is a saying that I'm certain that Brandon has used quite some time. It's a phrase that I'm certain that many of you have been on the receiving end at some time or another. Practice makes perfect. And we all understand what it means. Try harder, try consistently, and in the end you will master whatever the task at hand is. In many of life's situations, this saying, and I speak from experience, is 100% true. Try harder, try consistently, and you will master whatever is in front of you. I don't know, have any of you had that experience where it comes out on the other end and says, that's right. The more I tried at it, it may have been hard at the beginning, but I finally got it. I was able to do it. You see, for many of us, this experience is true. But the problem is, is that this saying is 100% not the gospel. The other problem with this saying is that it, it might not quite be 100% of us, but a very high percentage of the people who prescribe to the Christian faith would claim practice makes perfect to be true. Try harder, do more, give more, love more, etc. And you will be more, earn more, receive more from God. The inverse of this statement is the same. Try less, do less, be less, and you will receive less from God. This, my friends, might be the way our world works, but this is not the gospel. It is a kind of thinking that's, it is this kind of thinking that spurs Paul to write a scathing letter to his friends that comprise the church in Galatia. From the outset of the letter, we find that Paul isn't his same old self. As with many of us, when we encounter people we know, we have a certain list of welcoming statements. What's up? How you been? Or even some of us have a secret handshake that connotates our affinity towards someone else. Paul has this style of writing in all of his letters. My beloved in Corinth, my beloved in Ephesus. Even if Paul is writing about things he disapproves about, like certain behaviors in the Corinthian church, like their propensity to have sex with their mother-in-law, their habit for showing up completely drunk to the Lord's Supper, or the ferocious fights that they had over who would get the meat sacrificed to the pagan idols. Paul was always sure and certain to be cordial and friendly but not so with this church in Galatia. Paul cuts no corners. He wastes no breath in being kind. This church has done something treacherous, more treacherous than the drunk, mother-in-law-loving, pagan food-eating Corinthians. The Galatians 
have given ground to a different gospel, which Paul claims is, in fact, no gospel at all. It's a gospel that they had learned from teachers who had come in and began to undo the work that Paul had already begun. It only takes six verses into Paul's letter before he begins laying his disapproval on thick. Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are confusing you and who want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul is furious, and rightly so. The Galatians have already, or depending on where you're at in Paul's writing, perhaps they are on the verge of making a terrible mistake. What is the mistake, you might ask? Well, as Bishop Lewis would say, I'm so glad you did. The terrible mistake is that they had grown to a place where they believed that they could take the gospel for granted. As a theologian I am very fond of has said, they are no longer required, they believed, to hear the good news week after week after week after week that Christ has indeed died once and for all to defeat the powers of sin and death in this world and the world to come. They had come to a place where they say to themselves, great, we got it. Christ has died. Christ has done his part. Now, what must we do? This question is the well from which Paul's fury rises. This is, in fact, the other gospel which people are adhering to. What must we do? You see, this other gospel that these teachers, presumably teachers that are coming from the Jerusalem church, are suggesting is that it's not enough to believe that Christ's righteousness alone is what saves us. This other gospel suggests that it's not enough to believe that Christ has wiped our slate clean on the cross, but instead suggests that this same God who acted on our behalf, who wiped our slate clean, will now judge us based on what we've done with it, our works. This other gospel suggests that God has done God's part. That is to say, God has saved us from our sins. But now we must do our part, loving our neighbor, obeying the commandments, so on and so forth. In other words, Paul is furious because in his taking this gospel that he has proclaimed, namely that Christ has died for the sins of all, as Romans says, these other teachers have come to help revert the people with all of their efforts back to the law. A gospel of what you must do, which Paul says is indeed no gospel at all. Paul is so furious, he says and then he says, I repeat, let these people be accursed. 
who proclaim and believe such a gospel. And no, Paul isn't here and saying, let these people be accursed. He's not utilizing the term cursed the same way that we might use a hand gesture towards those who cut us off on busy streets. Paul is quoting scripture from Deuteronomy 27, 26, where it says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And what do all the people say? Amen. Let it be so. You see, the problem with this other gospel is not that the people are intending to do good things. That's fine and dandy. Go do good things. More power to you. The problem with this other gospel is that for those who have reduced the gospel to what your response is, those who account any weight of your response through works affecting God's response towards you have indeed heaped curses upon their heads. Because the problem with the law is not that we might excel in some areas and not in others, but the problem with the law is that those who follow the law must be made righteous by the law, and the only way to be righteous by the law is to per- perfectly do the law. And what part of the law? All of it. Newsflash. I can't, and you can't, do that. Why? Because of the reality of who we really are, is that we are people, sickened by sin. You see, this other gospel, this gospel that says God has done God's part, now you do your part. This would be the equivalent of seeing a man drowning 50 yards away from you in a raging sea and tossing the life jacket 49 yards away from him and hollering to this drowning man, kick harder! You'll get there! The drowning man doesn't need to kick harder. He's drowning. This is our condition. What he needs is a lifeguard to jump into the water, to swim to him, and to rescue him from certain death. The church today has missed this mark. We have changed out the gospel, that is, that God in Christ has taken on flesh, that is to say, Christ has jumped into the water and through the cross defeated the power of sin and death once and for all. No conditions attached. This is our reality. And it's as if Paul is shouting at the people of Galatia, we're only in the first chapter. Wake up to the real world, you Galatians. God's redemptive act has already been carried out. In Christ, whatever you are lacking, God has done it. You see, the good news of Jesus Christ is precisely that. It's a headline on the front of the page of the New York Times that reads, Christ has died for us while we were yet still sinners, proving God's love towards us. As Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians, for through the law I had to die to the law so that I might live 
for God. We're going to talk a lot about freedom in this time together. But listen, the freedom of Christianity is not the ability for us to accumulate wealth, power, and prestige. The freedom of Christianity is the freedom to be precisely that, free. To be freed from the constant push of the law to have to be perfect. You're freed from a constant desire and a constant feeling of being less than because you can't measure up. The freedom of the Christian is to say, because of Christ, you are free. You are free from always having to do the right thing, to be the right thing, to say the right thing. For at the end of the day, if our redemption relies on us, well, friends, there is no good news to be heard. You see, Christ doesn't need your hard work. Christ doesn't need your sweat. Christ doesn't need your stick-to-it determination. Because at the end of the day, even our best efforts will not measure up. Christ doesn't need something from you. But I know that we all have a desire to give something to Christ. Well, if you want to give Christ anything, don't give him all your work. Give him your regrets. Give him your shame. Give him your fear. Give them your racism, your sexism, your classism, or any other ism. In fact, while you're at it, why not just give Christ your sin? Because, in fact, it's already his. And that's why this is good news. It's because it's not about you. And your efforts, your efforts have already proven to come up short. Your legs might be strong, but they're not strong enough to swim the 49 yards to get to that life draft. You need a Savior. You see, this is the good news of Galatians. This is why Paul is so furious with this church. They came accustomed to be able to say, okay, on Good Friday, we'll understand what it means for us to really be human. On Ash Wednesday, we'll remind ourselves that we are dust and to dust we shall return. But outside of those two days, we're just gonna constantly live and ask the question, all right, we know that that's what happened, but what do we need to do now? Paul says this, don't exchange that gospel. Don't exchange that mess. Constantly remind yourself of this. Christ died for you while you were yet still a sinner, proving yourself to become his righteousness. In other places, Paul says, we exchange our sin with him who knew no sin. And in doing so, we become that which we did not inherently have. It's news. It's always news. It's always been news. See, the problem that we face right now is that our news has become a list of laws. Who's right? Who's wrong? 
Can we all live together in the midst of it? Paul's saying, stop all of that mess. Every Sunday, every day when you wake up, it's a new headline in the Times Magazine. Here's the headline. Good news. Today you're not going to be perfect. Today you're going to make a mistake. Today you're not even going to feel like worshiping God. Today you might not even believe that God exists. Today you might be your worst day of your life. But guess what? Good news. Everything else is no news at all. Thanks be to God. 